Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view this on Facebook or YouTube or listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon. We're grateful for your presence with us. Uh, As always, we invite your input. You can reach out to me at fredjeffsmith at gmail.com, fredjeffsmith.com at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing and what we can do to make this podcast better for you. I am very grateful and very excited today to have uh, with me uh, Mrs. Ashley Kennedy Shelton, who is the director of the Power Coalition of Baton Rouge, of Louisiana, excuse me, of Louisiana. Uh, Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share with us today. I'm so excited to be here. It's a long time coming, so lots to talk about. So start by introducing to the audience what the Power Coalition exactly is. I know it's a public advocacy group, Mm -hmm. uh, but let them know what Power Coalition is. Yep, you know, Power Coalition came out of, um, you know, my background's in philanthropy, so Baton Rouge Area Foundation, I did a ton of work after Katrina, and Power Coalition was actually born out of the reality that I had money and proximity to people with power. We had $50 million from the Bush-Clinton-Katrina funds, I had access to presidents, I had, you know, our chair at the time was, um, you know, Ambassador James Joseph, who was the ambassador during the, you know, breakup of apartheid, so lots of, you know, power adjacent, I call it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but we weren't, the money wasn't getting down to the people. Like, and so the 50 million was dwarfed by the federal 50, 50 billion. And our people were still hurting. Houses weren't being rebuilt. Neighborhoods, you know, still devastated and destroyed. And it occurred to me that even with all, all the resources and, and relationships in the world, we weren't changing things at scale. And Power Coalition came out of the idea that we had a beautiful car and no engine. Hmm. <laughs> and that the people are the engine. Yeah. yeah, and so Power Power Coalition is about building pathways to power for black and other people of color in this state and understanding truly what power means. Mm-hmm. And so power means having your voice heard, being able to elect candidates of choice, um, actually shifting politics to a place where we have elected officials that do the work of the people mm-hmm. and that if they don't there are repercussions and that this isn't just about political machines this is about people and I tell folks all the time you know voting is a social determinant of health and it, in every way you know we learn through COVID they're deciding whether you're safe at home safe at work safe at school they're determining what you have access to um, when when you can go to work when you can't go I mean all of these things right like they're deciding deciding if you deserve um, to be whole on the other side of a pandemic. And, you know, and so we think that it taught folks a lot about how important politics actually 
you know, how, how important it is to their lives. And it also taught them that we can't ignore it anymore. We can't pretend like it's, oh, I don't, I don't do politics. Well, you know, our existence is political. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, it's a power coalition does two things. There are two sides to the, to the shop. Um, we spend half, half the year listening deeply to community. And so we go all over the state with listening sessions. And then, you know, we build an, an agenda out of that. So hearing what people need, hearing what people's issues are. We do a lot of policy work you know, in the spring. And so we actually take that agenda and really move policy for folks and, and work with community to have their voices heard at the local and the state level. And then in the fall, we start uh, what we call GOTV, Get Out the Vote. And what's important about that is just connecting people to their vote. You know, one of the things I'm really proud of about what Power Coalition has done, we, when we pick a unit, you know, like when we create a universe of folks that we're going to reach, you know, reach out to, we usually reach out to infrequent voters, uh, you know, black voters, mm-hmm. other voters of color, meaning that they don't always vote they're not consistent voters mm-hmm. or they vote for the president don't vote otherwise and we really talk to them about reconnecting them to their vote and walking in their agency as a voter that it only doesn't it, it only is broken if we don't participate if we participate and force folks to engage and be really true to what they said they were going to do when mm-hmm. they got into office that we can actually move some things and and i think the combination of both community being engaged at a different level and then being able to understand how it works, mm-hmm. that we've been able to win a lot of the legislature, whether it's criminal justice reform. You know, we've expanded voting rights for the last two years in, in this deep South. Where sure. The rest of the country went the other way. And, you know, in, in of our universe, 65 percent of our universe votes. If I talk to them, I know that they will go out and vote. Mm-hmm. And so what that tells me, too, is that nobody's talking to black voters. Nobody's talking to black voters. Uh, Latino voters, Vietnamese voters, API, you know, like nobody's talking to us. And so, you know, and so this is about reconnecting people to their agency as a voter. Let's talk a little bit about that uh, and, and educate me a little bit because sure. I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit. Uh, I believe in voting rights. I, I believe in voting. I don't miss an election. I don't care if it's for dog catcher or for president of the United States. I'm going to make it a point to vote and I encourage other people to vote as well. Mm-hmm. But... To borrow a term from my conservative friends, uh, voting these days seems to be rigged uh, in in many ways, uh, primarily through this whole process of redistricting and gerrymandered districts. Uh, Tell me why I should continue to vote and advocate others to vote uh, for district elections, I'm not talking statewide, mm-hmm. but for district elections where the districts are so inappropriately drawn uh, so as to nullify my vote. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I had Luke Mixon in here yesterday, and, and I brought up to him that in redistricting, we were 0 for 4. We lost on congressional redistricting. We lost on state legislative redistricting. We lost on uh, metro council redistricting. And we lost on school board redistricting. And these things are going to eventually be settled in the courts. But the way the courts are these days, I don't think that that's going to go our way. Uh, So when I'm voting in a district where I'm only 12 percent, 15 percent, maybe 20 percent, of uh, the, 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 the electorate, and uh, my vote just doesn't seem to matter in, 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 those, in, in those cases. Am I, 
am I wrong in what I'm saying? And if I'm not wrong, tell me why I should continue to vote. So I think that what is, uh, there are a couple of things, right? I mean, I think that, you know, for me, you know, like no matter what you got to participate, right? Like, I mean, this is, this is about democracy and, and the, and the, um, and the fact that our democracy for me in particular feels like it's holding on by a thread. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that we're three bad federal decisions away from, you know, utter chaos and civil war, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, and I know it's, that's a little fatalistic, but I tell folks, I don't think it's hyperbolic at all. Yeah, exactly. It was like, like we're three bad decisions in a hurricane away from our climate event, from all of this falling apart. Yes. Um, but what is also happening, right, is that our country is becoming majority minority. And even though, of course, they're trying to tra- change the rules, they're trying to stack the deck in their favor right. so that they can maintain and hold power. But what is also true is that we have to fight and hold the line around the fact that I'm, you, I'm not going to continue to have less rights than my grandparents. Mm-hmm. And we, what we have to realize is that we have less rights than our grandparents across generations. I have less rights. My children have less rights. You know, my parents, you know, like it's it's generational, the ways in which they're rolling back our rights. But if we're not voting, if we're not participating, if we're not applying pressure, then, you know, like then we get lost in the mix. And so even though you're 12, 15 percent of a district, which is also too, I tell black folks too, like, you know, they like to say we don't vote. It's not that we don't vote. You've gerrymandered my voice. Exactly. Into, <laughs> into, exactly. Into, into into corners, right, that, that doesn't allow me you to like, can afford to not listen to my yeah. concern because <laughs> I don't have a large enough support uh, yeah. group or, or constituency or people who agree with my opinion for you to, 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 to give me any of your time. Uh, Maxine Cormier talks to me all the time about mm-hmm. the fact that uh, uh, if that this works both ways, that, mm-hmm. that, that there are a lot of black politicians who like having 70, 75% black districts because they think that it uh, increases their uh, ability to maintain office. But it does a disservice to Absolutely. the masses of people when the districts are drawn in such a way that we're packed into uh, one district and other districts are allowed to do whatever they no, they please. I, look, I, you know, redistricting was um, painful to say the least, right? I mean, eye-opening, um, absurd, <laughs> a couple of words that come to mind mm-hmm. that, you know, um, so there are a couple of funny things about redistricting. One was this idea, and, and even, you know, as I read The Advocate, I get tickled because I feel like they only present one perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, if you look at redistricting and from just the perspective of media and the newspaper, it it happened, you know, it was what it needed to be. Folks tried to be thoughtful. There was some tension around racial lines, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And what really happened, though, what really happened, though, is that we spent the better part of, you know, two years since starting with census saying, we're, this isn't going to be this way. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to change the rules. Mm-hmm. And so I think that you, it can't happen in a vacuum, right? Like we're, we're fighting at the same time that we're frustrated. And I think that's been the experience of black folks for, since the beginning of time, I mean, mm-hmm. well, at least 300 years ago. And I think that that frustration is also about like, let's exhaust you to the point that you stop participating, Mm -hmm. you look away or that your life is so painful and frustrated that you don't, you can't even prioritize voting, much less 
trying to just trying to make it every day. Mm-hmm. And what I remind folks, it's like somebody is deciding that you frust- that you're frustrated. Somebody's deciding that your life is painful. Somebody is making policies that exclude your access to opportunity. And so at the same time that the system is shifting and the country is shifting to majority minority, you know, we see the the coming in of, of all these policies to, to, to limit our power. Mm-hmm. And I think that, but we're in a moment where we have to hold the line. I think we're in a moment where it certainly feels that way. But when we did redistricting, the record reflects all over this state, black folks, you know, largest historic participation in any redistricting process that is that the state has ever held. You know, black folks showed up, Latina folks showed up, API show, uh, folks showed up, indigenous folks showed up and talked about the fact that we need more equity in this process. Mm-hmm. And then and, and then what's even more frustrating and sad was that we actually asked for fairness and we couldn't get fairness. And, mm-hmm. and you heard terms like continuity of leadership. I vote because I don't want, maybe I don't want continuity of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so I do think it's a hard, we're in a hard moment, but I do think that like folks have to know that folks are out there fighting, right? We built a beautiful record. We built mm-hmm. a record that cannot be ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, you know, we won in every lower court um, up until the point that Alito, Supreme Court Justice Alito stayed our case and it won't be her tell Alabama. So what we've done is join forces with Alabama mm-hmm. and we're going to fight for our second majority minority congressional house seat. And we're going to, and, and the record reflects the state didn't even put on a case because they felt like they didn't have to. <laughs> I was in the room when the school board did their vote. I was in the room when the Metro Council did their vote. It was the most bully thing I have ever seen. Absolutely. They didn't discuss. They didn't debate. They didn't engage. They let people talk. You you use the term exhaust themselves. We talked for two, three hours, and when... Everybody had had their say, and some people had had their say twice. Right. They just said, motion for this, second, all those in favor, and it was done. No, for sure. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, and, it, and then you walk out of the room, and you're like, well, what happened? Yeah. No, I mean, and it happened at the state legislature, and it's happening at, Congre- at the congressional level as well. And what, you know, and I think what is happening is uh, they're building, they're, they've drawn a line as well, and I think that again it's this is about fighting and i think that if you if you if no one was fighting then i'd say okay you know we we can we can talk about why maybe it just doesn't matter and we mm-hmm. just got to we just got to survive but what i think is also true is that we're fighting and we're winning you know like it's not like we're fight no one's fighting no one's talking about this that they're going to be allowed to just steal my right to elect candidates of choice, your right to elect candidates of choice, the 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 work, the you know, like we're suing at every level of government. Mm-hmm. I'm suing several school boards in the state. Mm-hmm. I'm suing at the congressional level. We're suing at the state level. And so again, you know, like, and we're not doing it by ourselves. We're doing it in partnership with ACLU, the Legal Defense Fund, mm-hmm. whose Legal Defense Fund has been amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it is, you know, it, you know, I keep. We're deferred, not denied, right? Like what we want is is on hold until we get this Supreme Court case through. But it is again, it's deferred, not denied. And what we have to do is stay focused on the opportunities that we have. One, which is we just we got to keep voting. 
um, you know, one of our goals at the Power Coalition is, is that any district that has a 25 to 30 percent black voting population, what 30 percent allows you to do is, yeah, I can't you can't elect black folks can't elect a candidate of choice. But what they can do is negotiate what they want, because mm-hmm. they can 30 percent can determine Absolutely. which way it goes. And so the so the idea is, how are we preparing communities to sit at the table and ask for what they want mm-hmm. um, and, and to just not say it's a it's a wash because all I'm doing and is picking between, you know, like this this white guy or that white guy. It's like, no, you're picking between Medicaid expansion and and not Medicaid expansion, right? Like the, all of these, you know, like trying to make connected back to the issues, connected back to the things that matter to to our communities. And so I think, you know, for me, it, it is a hard moment. You know, it is um, it is a pivotal moment in in our history. I think the 2024 elections scare me to death. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is, you know, we've we've seen that the other side is willing to go to war for what they want, which is power. And I feel like we can't just keep acting like it's not happening and we can't not act. We have to act and we're going to have to continue to act. And it's frustrating and it is painful. And it is um, like I find myself saying so many of the things that I heard like 60 plus years ago mm-hmm. and it's all the same and, and, and the th- one thing that's changed that folks have to also pay attention to is that they like to say I mean sh- you know Senator Sharon Hewitt was quoted in the newspaper saying that you know our issues in 1965 are not the same you know our you know we've elect- elected a black president we've done this we've done that and so that's what they hang themselves yeah on. exactly the, the post <laughs> were post-racial and yeah. I think that that nothing more is far for you know further from the truth all you know the votes around redistricting and fairness and equity it it, it went around, it went along racial lines mm-hmm. um you know they clapped and cheered when they knew that they could overturn the governor's veto mm-hmm. i also want to note that it was the only time in this governor's you know in his term two terms that they were ever able to overturn his veto and it had and and this is also an issue specific to black folks mm-hmm. so now when other you know, all kinds of other issues were being considered, you know, like we were able to find the will and the way to stop folks from being exclusionary um, across a whole, you know, plethora of issues. But when it came down to, you know, black voters having, you know, fair, equitable say, that was the only time that they could overturn his veto. As Democrats, were we asleep at the wheel while conservatives gained control of the federal courts. Absolutely. And and, and, and with the 64 Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, the 65 Voting Rights Act, the 68 vote, it was the courts that were the salvation of of, uh, black civil rights movements. Conservatives seemed to hone in on that and pick away at the federal court system to the point now that I can't trust that the federal courts will do the right thing anymore. Yeah. Uh, and at some point, you can't just say, look at what they did. You have to say, look at what we didn't do. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me about that. You, you know, so it's interesting because, um, you know, like I, there's not one right that I have as a black woman, you have as a black man that didn't wasn't given to us by the federal court, mm-hmm. whether it was in slavery or to integrate schools. You can go all, you know, right to vote. You can go all the way down the line. Every single right that I had that as any other white citizen is because a federal court gave it to us. And right. So you're right. The federal courts are powerful and necessary. The, you know, 
you know, like there was this stacking of the court, and and it and it happened on the watch of a Democrat. I mean, this started with well, they didn't start with Clinton, but Clinton allowed a lot of space for them to pack courts and and do lots of things that were unfortunate, um, and then it continued. But here's what's interesting though is that if you look at the lower federal courts, whether it's the Middle District, the Fifth Circuit, they have actually been thoughtful in 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 some of the things that they've done. Like they have been really grappling with these issues. And so I I tease. It's funny because I said you know like um, who knew that a, a Bush Republican would would be um, <laughs> softer, gentler than what is now considered a conservative Republican. Right. You know, like they like it's just all, it's night and day. And so, you know, and so what I found is that they're that they're you know like that there has been some winning at that level. The problem now is is that we've allowed the Supreme Court to be stacked. Right. And it doesn't matter what happens at the lower courts if the Supreme Court is ultimately going to do what they want to do. But I tell folks, but that's why we have to keep applying pressure. They're only doing it because they can. Mm-hmm. Nobody's having a conversation about, like, at some point, there's going to be a question about the validity of the court. What, what are you, you know, like, who do you represent? Mm-hmm. Whose values are you, are, you, are you playing out on, you know, at the highest court in the land? Like, what, what, is, what, is that, what does that say? And so I certainly do, um, you know— you know, blame, you know, the facts that we the fact that we didn't pay attention to things that we needed to pay attention to. Um, but I also truly believe, right, that we have an opportunity to do we, we can't, you know, you can't get distracted by all the things. And in any of your pastors, so I always say this distraction is, is the work of the devil. I don't have to mm-hmm. <laughs> be distracted by like all the things they want us to be distracted by, what mistakes were made then. I, I got to look forward and looking forward, we have to fight and apply pressure because if we don't, then all the things we fear are going to happen. Every, you know, I, I was talking to uh, the director of the New Georgia Project, one of our sister organizations in Georgia, did a ton of work. You know, they just registered their millionth uh, voter and you know she spent some time in Palestine um, two weeks ago and she said you know they, they were having elections they met with you know all of the you know all the folks in Israel they met with folks in Palestine and she said you know for 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 a sec you know like she got a glimpse of what what America could be that we you know that we could be second-class citizens mm-hmm. in every single way mm-hmm. that, you know, we could be fighting for the simplest of things, our land, our property, our our right to walk, stand, and breathe in the same air that, of, that, of any other white person. And so, you know, which is basically what the fight between Israel and Palestine is. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, Palestine folk, Palestinians are second-class citizens. And when she said it, it was a gut punch because it, it, it I was... It, it makes sense. I you, I can reason it all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also terrifying that, like, we're not there just yet. And we, if we don't fight, if we do stand back, if we do watch and wait and say they're going to just do it anyway. I mean, do, so funny story. So when we were doing the redistricting work around the congressional map, we knew we had the numbers. We knew it could be done. We drew the map six, seven different ways. Sure. Right. And what everyone kept telling us all along the way, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, you know, and I feel like we ended up 
on the precipice of realizing a second majority minority district out, you know, 12 hours before it happened, Alito stayed the case. But up until that point, we had done what everyone said couldn't be done in the first place. Mm-hmm. And we did it. We did it. You know, I, I teased. I was like, we had to drag some folks. <laughs> we had to, you know, we had to just ignore some folks, but mm-hmm. we made our way there. And I think that, you know, like this idea is that everything, everything is, you know, it, it's just done and decided. It's not done and decided. You know, I think, you know, one of the things that kept me saying through redistricting, because it was a very, um, I tell folks, there's nothing worse than sitting in a cold room with cold hearted people saying the, the most racist and terrible sure. things and sitting through there for 31 days yeah. right, of just ridiculousness. And, well, I, guess, I think there was more like 27 days. I don't it, it was too many, however many days it was. Um, and, you know, you know, and having this having to know in my heart that some that 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 it could, things could be different that you know i wake up in the morning and god was still sitting on the throne and that that and that it, regardless of what you believe there is also something there is something pushing back there is you know i, I tell folks there's a, you know like we act like the like all of this is happening in a vacuum it's not i mean look at our young people our young people are saying like no this is not what we want this mm-hmm. is we don't want to inherit a dying planet which they are regardless because that's what the previous generations decided you know but they're fighting and i think that it is that spirit about are we going to allow three percent of the richest people in the world you know in the country but also the world tell the all the rest of us you know that we don't matter that we don't get to decide that we're going to live in poverty, that we're not going to have paid sick leave, like we're not going to have so, gas is four dollars a gallon, but the minimum wage is seven twenty-five. Yeah. And so again, it's like I think people have to stop make people want to make it about race, and it is in many many ways, but it's also about class, right? And the myth, right, that as long as you are white, that you will you can be president, yeah. you can be whatever you want to be, and what is real is that they are in the same boat in many ways as many African Americans in this country because they don't have access to, 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 to living wages. They don't have paid sick leave. They have to make, they had to make some hard choices like all, like, like all the rest of us. But that, 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 that mentality of like, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm white. I'm still white though. And it certainly has its privileges. And mm-hmm. so I don't, <laughs> don't deny that, but mm-hmm. it, um, the, the politics don't make sense. And you know, and I think that one of the, they th- vote against their own best interests all the time, all the time. And, and, it is and, truly- and, and, and you pointed out to them and they're deniers of the fact that they're voting against their own selfish best interest yeah, for sure for sure and then and it's also interesting to me too because it's like i would just rather them say it's a, it's it's because i want black people and other people of color to be you know to still be privileged mm-hmm. you know i i want to keep my privilege but the reality is is that you're not as privileged as you could be mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, if you really thought about and put policies in place that really helped your community. And we're only as good as the as the the, the poorest person in our community, mm-hmm. and in whatever they, way that manifests, because it's not just money that makes you poor, right? You know, we're all like I am because you are, right? Ubuntu, that spirit of Ubuntu. Like I, you cannot walk in this world and not think about who else you're connected to, which has always been a problem in Baton Rouge. It's a tale of two cities. It's been a tale of two cities. Mm-hmm. And what I tell folks is, is that they act like there's some magical line between North Baton Rouge and South Baton Rouge. Like or there's like a gate, a fence. I, I, you know, I don't know. And I was like, and if you stop caring so much about a whole like the black people in our city. You know, how do you how 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 are you not de- you know like it, 
degrading the experience of our entire community because you don't care about black folks. And you can use whatever policy arguments you want. You can use all the excuses that, that, that come to mind at every school board meeting, um, which are really hard to watch. Um, you know, but at the hard end of the day. Hard to sit through, too. Yeah. I, no, <laughs> look, I, I, there are a couple of things I don't do anymore. I don't sit, I don't. I don't sit through school board meetings anymore, um, and I go to the legislature only when necessary. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I used to, you know, I've done policy with Maxine for years, and she has been a great mentor and support. Um, and I've gotten to a place in my life where it is just not healthy for me to be sure. in a space where, where you know, nobody cares about what I have to say. And so what I'm also, a message I think is important for black folks is that we have to, going back to the parties, the parties have proven that they're irrelevant, you know, or at least the, the at least the at least on the progressive side. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not I mean, you know, like I I have more data, I have more information and more strategy about how and what ways we're moving black voters in this state than than the, the party currently does. They have way more money, but that doesn't change the fact that like I, I don't have time to be distracted by their foolishness. What I'm trying to do is create a political home for folks that is bigger than the party, bigger than this moment, right? Like this idea that like a political home doesn't have to just be the party. Because if it was just about the party and who gets elected, nobody would vote. Because what, you know we're out here telling folks to go vote and, and, and it's either your vote is gerrymandered and so it, would make, it feels like it doesn't matter and you can't choose a candidate of choice, or your vote's not gerrymandered and you have a candidate that's not doing the things they said they were going to do. Mm -hmm. And so there is much to be desired about the political process in every way. And so I think what we have to do is create our own political home, our own place where we fight, strategize, and work together to get the things that we know we deserve and the things that our taxpayer dollars say we know are available to us. And so I do think that that's one of the places we're moving as the Power Coalition is that, yes, we're a civic engagement table. Yes, we want to build power. Um, but in order to build power, I can't build it in the in the in the current construct because the current construct has made everyone feel like it doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. My vote doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, they're all corrupt. I mean, you know, we've we've all heard all the things. And um, and what and what I keep trying to tell black folks is that you it doesn't change the fact that you have agency as a voter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't change the fact that if you if we lay if we lie down if we if we turn our head. Um, if we get too exhausted for the fight, that the fight won't, won't continue. And they wouldn't be fighting this hard if, if there wasn't anything to take. They wouldn't be, they, they, we, we wouldn't be, have, this conversation wouldn't be as painful as it is mm -hmm. <laughs> if mm -hmm. it wasn't because there is something to have and something to take. And, um, and we, you know, and again, you know, this is our, you know, this is also, you know, our, our legacy is black folks. You gotta sure. fight, you gotta fight. Do you keep up with, I know that you had your start with Baton Rouge Area Foundation. Do you keep up with Baton Rouge Area Foundation now? There's a new sheriff in town, yep. uh, Mr. Chris Myers. I have had the opportunity to be in his presence two or three times now. Uh, what do you see as someone who used to be a part of, the, uh, mm -hmm. of, of, of BRAF and now you've gone out and form, formed your own group. What do you see BRAF becoming under this new leadership uh, template? He, one of the things that I appreciate is the fact that he's reaching out to community groups, grassroots groups, 
trying to gather information, uh, mm -hmm. uh, which is something that the previous regime wasn't always uh, interested in doing. I'll put it that way. Uh, so what's your hope? What's your expectation of BRAF? Because BRAF is a major player in this city, without Absolutely. question. Absolutely. A major player. In the, like them, don't like them. Uh, you, you cannot deny the fact that they have an impact on what goes on in this city. Yeah, you know, I, I am, um, I'm going to wait, you know, I'm going to watch and see. I, you know, certainly um, have met Chris a couple of times, and I want to have, I want to have the conversation, right, about where is BRAF, on, where, where, what's his vision? Where is he trying to take it? Mm -hmm. I do, um, you know, but I, what I do also understand, because I've been in the machine, right? I mean, and it is a machine, mm -hmm. um, is that, you know, like what Power Coalition also came out of this understanding that, you know, yes, foundations have lots of money and they have lots of donors with lots of money. Mm -hmm. um, but that in order for there to be change, they can't, nobody can do anything about the fact that this is a majority black city. Nobody can do anything about the fact that if we can organize and bring, you know, the black community together, that things could be very different in this community. And one of the things that I think the old, you know, like one of the things that was always difficult to me is that when folks were like, oh, we want to have a conversation with community and we would gather, it wasn't my community. It wasn't right. anybody right. that, you know, I mean, Absolutely. I was like, and I was like, no, like there are other stakeholders in that community. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just one group of one group of guys. Like, no, there is a whole there's a whole ecosystem in our community um, that is white, that is black, that is Vietnamese down Florida road. It's, you know, like Latino and lots of pockets around the around the city. And so at the end of the day, I feel like we've got to, you know, like they're going to have to open up. They're going to have to. You know, they're going to have to talk about how and what ways they want to continue to be um, to be a player that is, you know, that is both bridging. Right. What's the, the needs of the community? But then also too playing in the pol political game, playing in, um, you know, play, playing in um, what's the word I want to use? You know, like playing, you know, in the direction of our whole city. Right. And so I think that it is. If you do that, seeking out the voices um, and the experiences of other folks in our community, I think that there's certainly a lot, much to be learned. Um, and I think that, you know, we'll see, we'll see. But I think that what I'm not waiting on is for, um, I'm not waiting on any institution to change its colors, change its way, uh, total way of being. What I am doing is just, build, you know, the only, you know, the only response to, you know, organize money is organize people. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, and so at the end of the day, it's like they have money and power and I'm building people power. And I have proven several times <laughs> that mm -hmm. people power has absolute power and can change things in our state. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Does Power Coalition involve itself in uh, education, public education, uh, East, Baton, East Baton Rouge Parish School Board, uh, the St. George Movement, things of that sort? Uh, do, 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 do you all involve yourselves in, in that kind of effort? Yeah, I, I feel like we, I feel like we're in a, involved <laughs> in a whole bunch of efforts across mm -hmm. the state because it's it's you know industry in the river parishes it's you know it is the school board ebr i mean the mat that is you know that you know which is also so interesting about how about how powerful communications and narratives are because if you read the paper on sunday basically what they said was was that while this plays out in court 
um, that we're just going to have this map and these elected officials for the next six years. That or is four correct. Years. And I said, or four years, but however long the, their, their terms are. Um, and it's like, no, no, no. Because once we we are successful in court, you're going to change the map and mm -hmm. we're going to hold another election because mm -hmm. that's what the infrastructure decided. That's mm -hmm. what the Secretary of State decided. That's what the, the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board. And so all the folks that don't have resources to hold another election, mm -hmm. you have resources for everything else. Sure. And so the idea that we're going to allow, a, you know, a map, I mean, like basically a, a, a reapportionment that was not reapportioned to just stand for you know, till the next election is absurd to me. And I think that that's the, but that's also too the power of media um, and the power of like who, you know, we're trying to challenge that, you know, like at the end of the day, the, the map, the, the, you know, the where's Colin, the, the Collins, wait, let's say, yeah, where Collins map. It's, you know, we had, we provide, provided the demographer that drew that map. Yes. You know, we, you know, like we're all like we are engaging wherever community brings us in. I mm -hmm. mean, on the St. George piece, you know, we've certainly done some advocacy. You know, one of the nice things about, you know, having an organization that does civic engagement is I have a voter file. Um, you know, I'm working with and contacting and moving voters on a regular basis. And so we've built strong relationships and communities across the state. And so we use that tool to then work with communities and churches and neighborhood groups to understand like what's happening in your neighborhood like let's start let's go back to the basics right mm -hmm. um and so yeah we involve ourselves in all kinds of things i mean we're 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 supporting the descendants project and and saint rise saint james and other groups around the grain elevator in saint james parish or no it's not saint james it's um uh it's it's gonna come to me but but basically the river parishes mm -hmm. you know we are you know like we are fighting in new orleans right now around any number of different things, but, you know, certainly, um, like trying to figure out how we build a safety net. I mean, we, we're also getting ready to figure out even right here in Baton Rouge, like, why are we in criminalizing homelessness? Thank you for bringing that up because that, that was on my list. Uh, uh, the Metro council, seven, five Republican, Democrat, white, mm -hmm. black voted to criminalize homelessness and ban tents from being erected on public spaces. Uh, I understand that there was some shifting at the 11th hour with regard to what the penalties might be, but essentially they voted to criminalize homelessness. Uh, I have a, a, a friend who says that this is all a part of the process of gentrification that's taking place within uh, our community, and I'm sure that, that has something to do with it. We're talking about, according to their estimates, 600 people, a little bit more than 600 people, in a parish of 400,000. When did it become such a huge problem uh, to deal with the needs of 600 people in a parish of 400,000, that it requires this kind of rash action to criminalize homelessness? Yeah, it, it, that's the question. And... You know, like, and with no solution. I mean, so now, if if there if there were housing programs, um, if there were jobs beds, training, yeah, jobs training, and not even jobs training. I, I don't get me started about that because one of the things I feel about Baton Rouge is there's so many lessons they need to learn from New Orleans, mm -hmm. and I think that instead of them learning, they're just like, well, we don't want tent cities under the interstate, and so let's let let's do this, or we don't, you know, like instead of like learning the lessons that New Orleans has learned and 
continues to learn. I feel like we don't, I don't have to fall in a hole if I know <laughs> there's a hole. And I feel like we are always choosing to fall in the hole, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, people don't understand how government works or the budget, <clears throat> the budget. And that, again, if you're not offering solutions, then you can't criminalize something is, is what I believe. And then going back to, you know, all there is a huge human services, you know, kind of um, collection of agencies and organizations. And so if, you know, their budgets are, you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, maybe over a million dollars, there's a there is a there's a break somewhere in the in the continuum of care. Mm-hmm. There is a also a break in our where is our empathy where is our again why is nobody said we want a solution they termed it as being a compassionate response to homelessness well we know there's nothing compassionate quotes about in the paper that. Yeah. That, 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 that this is a compassionate response yeah. to homelessness well when you talk to I gotta, homeless i got folks. a bridge i can sell you yeah no exactly <laughs> and when you talk to you know that's the other thing too is that you know people just decide that they know who who homeless people are because right. of what they see on TV or or, or what, whatever it is, right? Like that 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 feeds their notion of what it means for someone to be homeless. And what is more true is when you talk to folks that are homeless. Um, one, there are a lot of folks struggling with mental health issues and substance abuse. Lots of veterans that are struggling with all three. You've got um, you know you've got single mothers that are trying to make it. And then here's what's even more scary is that in a city of four hundred thousand, you've got the six hundred which we know that number's bigger than that. Um, but then you've got thousands of people living in substandard housing that yes. is so terrible that, that, is, that at the end of the day, the mold, the, you know, all of the things that uh, the disrepair of these uh, homes that they're renting is also contributing to, like, I have a roof over my head sometimes, right? Or I have a roof over my head until it rains. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, like, those are the bigger questions. Like, how, how do we have, you know, one of the, you know, like, 600 people, like you said. I mean, there's there are resources to be able to provide solutions to that. There are strategies that we can use. And so I think that, you know, for for the community, I think we just have to figure out what is our response to our city council to this? What's the response? And, you know, and the thing that surprises me, I tell this to people all the time, when I talk to people in community, I never feel like I'm so different, right? Like there, there's a fringe contingency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But Mm -hmm. for the most part, we want the same things. We want to be safe in our homes. We want our kids to be okay. You know, I always tease, you know, folks because they they always want to demonize, you know, like single moms or, or, and I was just like, there's no mom I have ever met that doesn't want the same things that I want for my kids and and, and other mothers. Yes, there are, again, cases that, that, um, that have been, you know, really hurtful and terrible in the last two years, but, you know, and people have been in very, terrible and unfortunate situations mm-hmm. due to COVID and, and it has impacted people's mental health. It has impacted people's, you know, like if you were just hanging on before COVID hit and then you lost your job, like what, you know, like there are all these things that I think that, you know, we, we have to consider. And I think that, um, you know, if we keep othering people without acknowledging that we need to unpack it and see what's going on, you know, at some point it's you, right? Like at some point, it's like I said, if you didn't care when it was the homeless guy, if you didn't care when it was the single mom, when you didn't care, like at some point it is you. Mm -hmm. At some point we can other and say something's wrong with with all these groups of people. But at some point, you know, everybody deals with mental health issues. And and if it's not you, it's in your family. Everyone in this state um, has to deal with criminalization and worrying about 
about the ways in which it can become a part of your life or the life of someone in your family. You know, every like there's certain truths, right, about living in this state. And so I think that the you know, like the idea that if we don't participate, those things get worse. Mm-hmm. We've made them better. But again, we we fight for the wins we already got, and we got to fight to keep those and keep fighting to continue to move the needle. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that is what I don't think that's what God would do. I don't think that's what Jesus would do. Um, I think that it is a um, it is unfortunate that we're here, but I also feel like we're I'm, we're, we're trying to organize community to say. You know, like this, this is, you know, there are a whole bunch of folks that are paycheck away from finding themselves in a situation, especially in our city. I mean, the math isn't hard. Um, and so the idea that like we're not, we're not lifting up, we're not screaming out, we're not saying something needs to change um, is a little bit worrisome, but there are people that are fighting. I mean, we're organizing with community and other partners like Vote um, to be able to say, like, to call the question, like, what's happening? Like, why are we allowing this to happen? Um, and what what is the accountability for the city council around this vote and mm-hmm. around criminalizing folks? And there's no compassion in criminalization. There's, there's no compassion in poverty and, you know, like, like forcing people to live in a never-ending cycle of poverty and criminalization. You bring up God and Jesus. One of the things that I say quite a lot is that while... Christians of every hue uh, say we worship the same God. Our perspective of God and Jesus is very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I make the argument, has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with her, my <laughs> argument. Uh, I make the argument that black folk don't need to be going to white folks' churches because the oppressed cannot be taught properly by the oppressor. Uh, I think that the oppressed have been sitting under the oppressor long enough. And when it comes to our theology, when it comes to our understanding of what Jesus would do, Mm -hmm. I don't think that the oppressor can teach oppressed folk about what Jesus would do to help relieve oppression because they're sitting in in a position of comfort being the oppressor. So... You brought up, I don't think this is what Jesus would be pleased with, in your discussions around the state with people of all different walks of life, people who all call themselves Christians, do you find that our view of Christ and the church and the role that the church should play in everyday public affairs and politics and social justice is different depending upon what group you're talking to? Yeah, it's very different, depending on what group I'm talking to. I think that, um, you know, I think that we do a lot of work with the churches. I depend on the black church and the black church infrastructure to, 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 to do what the church has always done, which is to be a free space, you know, to be a space where black folks could worship and be, you know, and, and put their issues, hear their voices reflected back to them. Um, and so it's been a really important part of our infrastructure and, you know, organizing and bringing all bringing all all, just that community together is its own work right Mm -hmm. and then when you add in 
um, you know, the folks that want to help you the way they want to help you versus the folks that are really just trying to make our communities better. You know, I was like, you can't take the, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, you can't take the colonizers approach. Like at the end of the day, it's like, I'm going to help you, but only in the ways that I want to. Exactly. And, and that's not the same thing as, help, like, you can't ter- determine for me what kind of help I need. I know what, I, what kind of help I need. And so I, I do feel like, you know, like, they're, 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 you, f- you see that all over the state and, um, and folks justifying some of their decisions, some of the ways that they show up in, in the world politically, personally, uh, and otherwise. And, you, and, and it is steeped in this, um, you know, like, that I, it, it's about me. It's I, 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 and not we. And mm-hmm. it has, we have to get back to we. Mm-hmm. We have to, um, you know, <laughs> it was, I, I had to get off of social media yesterday because of all these debates about the forgiveness, student loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And um, there are all these folks, and in, in particular, you know, uh, evangelicals saying that they don't know how they feel about this, they, they, that they have concerns and issues. And um, somebody made the most powerful point, which was that, so, you know, the, the, the prayer, the Lord's prayer, the prayer that is, the, you know, the, the major prayer that you learn in the Bible that Jesus taught us, literally Forgive talks us about death. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> I mean, and so it's just like how, are, you know, like, it's like we have to just stop playing with the word. We got to stop playing with God. We, you know, like, and I do feel like. We are in a moment where, you know, like people that I feel like, you know, uh, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Mm-hmm. I do feel like we're in a moment where black folks are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. But but we can't just sit in that, you know, of the sick and tired. Like, yeah, I'm sick and tired and I, and I wake up every day and I do something about it. Um, you know, I, you know, like one of the things we're proud of at Power Coalition is that I probably we give away over a million dollars every year mm-hmm. to nonprofits, churches, communities across the state mm-hmm. to build the infrastructure to say that, like, we don't have to depend on just one type of institution. You don't have to depend on just a foundation or or wherever people seek resources. Like, but there are other ways that we can build communities, that we can build power and, and relationship around how and in what ways we want to change our communities and our state. And so, I, you know, like for me, it's, you know, like it is very hyperbolic, hyperbolic, the ways in which religion kind of plays out in our in our communities. And, it, and it's, um, you know, and it's unfortunate because it feels like, you know, on one hand, it's like, you know, like we've got to do the right thing and, and live and, and follow these, these these certain values. But, you know, but everybody who can't do that is, you know, is being punished somehow or deserves to be punished well, or less than. You from know? my perspective, and, and you have a broader perspective than mine because you talk to a wider spectrum of people than mm-hmm. I do. So, and, and that's why I, I, I really value your opinion on this. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective... They employ Jesus until Jesus no longer suits them. And when Jesus no longer suits them, then all of a sudden, no, 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 no. We, we can't. Can I tell you that Jesus was not a capitalist? Yeah, Capitalism is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are left trying to fit square pegs into round yeah. holes because capitalism isn't going anywhere. It, 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 it's yeah. here. But Jesus was not a capitalist. So you, you can't employ Jesus to support capitalism when, at its essence, Christianity is antithetical to capitalism. 
I do not disagree. I do not disagree. And I, and I, you know, and I think too that like we have to also, you know, recognize the ways in which, you know, like uh, there are issues that are about securing votes. And so, you know, I, I born and raised Catholic. I, you know, my daddy has told me that I will die Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so I mean, it is what it is, and so um, you know, you know, but my faith is is much broader than just the institution of the church, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have a relationship with God that that is not governed by you know anybody's you know particular theology, um, you know. But one of the things that I always find interesting is that when Obama was elected. The priest, I mean, which is also why I don't go to that church, he said, some of you voted, voted for Obama and you're going to go to hell. Like, who does that? And I, I was like, I was like, isn't that why Jesus? Joel Stockstill like, said essentially the same thing. Yeah, I and it know. amazes me that Negroes continue to flock to Bethany after he made yeah. that and statement. I, well, and, and, I, and I think it speaks to, you know, like th those statements to me speak to the intent. The intent is to get, have you to vote a certain way about one issue and whether, you know, it's them using the issue of abortion to force you to vote one way while they're still taking money from, um, you know, all kinds of pharmaceutical companies that, that provide birth control, all, all the things that they're, you know, that, sure. that like don't align with kind of some of the Catholic um you know, some of the Catholic, you know, doctrine, you know, so it's a, it's like, you know, you just have to kind of open it up and just say like, okay, the, you know, the church is imperfect. Um, and again, like you gotta have to have your own relationship with God, because if it was just about these institutions, um, you know, like you struggle, you struggle, or if it's not about uh, that institution that is feeding you and, and, and actually not only feeding you, but feeding your community. I always also say, you know, too, about, um, you know, about, you know, you know, like all these missions, you know, and, and mission work is beautiful. You know, I, it's important, necessary. Um, but I all struggle with like, why are we going out of the country when we've got mission work that needs to happen right here mm -hmm. in our own community? Mm -hmm. And we're spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to millions. go. Yeah, millions of dollars to go and do that mm -hmm. when, you know, but, but then we won't even speak to our neighbor. We won't, you know, like we, we won't consider the humanity right. of the 600 people in, in our community that are unhoused yes and and have no consideration for like everybody's got a story and it isn't just that they made bad decisions and so therefore they're poor and homeless no it is a, you know there is a system in place that either you figure it out and have a couple of lucky breaks or you know or you continue to fail um, because the system is set up for you to fail and so you know and so for me it's that uh, that piece too around you know the you know, like for me that, again, you know, I, I'm born and raised Catholic, not Catholic, but, um, but my identity and my relationship with God is not defined by, by, by them, their buildings, their, you know, their priests. Mm -hmm. I love several of them and have good relationships with many of them, but they, it doesn't define my relationship with God. And I think that that's what people also have to understand that it, it's like, I think people are looking for a feeling. 
instead of looking for salvation. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I think that, and, and, and it's been groomed. It's been, a, it's, to me, it feels groomed as well mm-hmm. <clears throat> that over time, you know, like what the church was and, and what the church is and that nobody questions, uh, you know, like questions that. And, and I do think that, you know, the, that, you know, Shiloh has been the same. You know, I, one of the things I always respect about you is that you were a scholar of the word. That you know, people can say, um, you know, like that they uh, that they that they preach the word. But I think that one of the things that I enjoy is that like you actually actually spend time with it and understand it, and um, and that there actually is a meaning to being a scholar of the word, and um, and to be able to then share it with others. And that's a gift, and that's an anointing. And and so I think that you know there are you know like the black church has been a you know bedrock for that. The civil rights movement, the all of the things, right? And so I just feel like at the end of the day, we've got to go, we've got to put ourselves in places where we are being taken care of. We have to put ourselves in places where people are asking us the hard questions, where people are giving giving us a feeling that is that you know that all things are po- possible through Christ. You know, like where, where someone is reinforcing that also too, that there is, you know, like you cannot receive without giving mm-hmm. that, you know, like it's not, you're not going to magically money's going to drop in your, in your, in your, in your lap because you said, you know, like it, you said, saying one song said one prayer. It's like, no, this is about a commitment to, to a relationship with God and, and living your life in a way where you are doing what Jesus would do and not, um, you know, and, and, and also, too, that means having responsibility for your brothers and your sisters and your community. It's about, you know, having compassion and, uh, you know, and, and allowing everybody to walk in their own dignity um, and to not think you know their story, to not blame, to not look down upon, but, again, to serve, right? And I think that that's something we've gotten away from um, in these larger kind of church spaces is, like, how are we truly serving those most in need and not just serving a narrative or serving a, you know, serving a feeling. Yeah, I, I need something bigger than that. According to CBS News, the student loan forgiveness uh, measure that the president enacted is going to cost around $300 billion. Mm-hmm. According to the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, the TARP relief program cost seven, $475 billion in 2008, translated to $2022. Six hundred fifty-three billion, six hundred forty-two million, seventy-six thousand five hundred fifteen dollars <laughs> and forty-two cents. How is it that Republicans could have been so on board for TARP and so oppositional toward student loan forgiveness? So, you know, I have a lot to say about this <clears throat> because we. So even if you look at disaster recovery, you look at any number of different things, you know, like what this country has decided is that they cannot trust people with money, right? Like that they that they refuse, that government shouldn't be giving people handouts when indeed all the government does is give businesses handouts way more than they give people yes. handouts, <laughs> yes. to be clear. Yes. Um, and, you know, and, and I thought it was also funny in the news yesterday 
they, that, you know, all these Republicans that were saying, oh, my God, um, were the very people that got, you know, $900,000 in PPP loans forgiven and, you know, millions of dollars in, in loans. And so it's okay for you, but it's not okay for the individual. And I think that we have to get away from that. Like, I feel like, you know, I've done K Katrina, Rita, Gustav, Ike. Um, goose, like all of them, right? And and everyone after that, because nobody tells you that once you do disaster recovery, you have to do it for the rest of your life. <laughs> so, um, and what I understand is, is that you know, FEMA it is is dysfunctional. It can't, it doesn't work. And so why wouldn't we do like the child tax credit? Like this was the first time, you know. Well, there were two times during the pandemic where they were giving folks money in hand, right? right? And so much so that that the the small business owners were like, you're giving them too much money because we they don't make that much money at my job. And that's why they're not coming back to my job. And it's like, that's not what happened. Right. Like what yeah. happened is, is that folks feel like I can get. I, you've been forcing me to get by, and I'm going to still get by. Right. And so, and then that they had to change it and try to change the narrative really quickly. That's how disconnected our elected leaders are at the congressional level from a real everyday person that Absolutely. they didn't even realize that the the amount was more than what people were making in in their daily lives. Yeah. And that's and that's that's disgusting. That's that that to me is a, a, a failing that cannot be ignored. And I think that you know one of the things that I have been screaming from the rooftops is that st I, you don't have to pay the billions of dollars you pay for FEMA. I was like, how about you just give people a disaster tax credit, you get it for the first three months after following a storm, and money goes straight to your account. If you are in a declared disaster and you live in that parish where it was declared, you get your money. Yes, there are going to be people that don't need it, set some income requirements, what, you know, like there are ways to do it. But when, when it came down to PPP, we had no problem moving money. We did it fast. We did it without any, we weren't worried about fraud, uh, the thing that they love to say about disaster. Right. We weren't worried about any of these things. And they and moved so we all the red tape yep. out of the way yep. so that they could get the money right. out as quickly as they could. Right. And so at the end of the day, we know it can be done. Yes. <laughs> we know that yes. they do it when it when it behooves them. But I, but I think that like we've got to get to a place where we demand it. I mean, I think that it is ridiculous that um, we even have to have a debate about whether or not it's OK to forgive student loans. Like I tell folks, these are numbers on a piece of paper. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's so, like, you know, like there is a true 300 billion dollars somewhere. But <laughs> but for the government. But for the government, though, it, it, there really are a lot of numbers on some paper. Yes. I looked it up <laughs> right, right after it came out. $300 billion for student loan forgiveness. The federal budget for 2022 is $6 trillion. Yep. $6 trillion. Mm -hmm. $300 billion into $6 trillion is not even half a percent. It's 0.49 percent. Yeah. And the world is exploding because 0.49 yeah. percent <laughs> of a $6 trillion budget is going to go towards student loan forgiveness. Well, and, and you know, and let's be honest too, that there's also, uh, some of that's also driven by the fact that, that black students and black, you know, black people benefit from this program mm -hmm. in a way that um, felt Surprise, you know, like felt like, well, we got something right for a change. And, and I mean, we, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't perfect, but they with what ultimately what they did, because they should have just forgiven it all. Because, again, it, like you said, it's that would have been one percent. I mean, yeah. you know, like one point five percent. It's of the budget. not anything. 
It's a pimple on an elephant's butt. Right. That's what it is. It's numbers on paper. And I think that, like, but to give people back their ability to live their lives, to not have their credit destroyed, um, because we told them that they needed to go get a four-year degree and they would make so much money and their lives would be better, and that has not been the experience of many Americans in this country. Um, It's crazy to me. But I think also it is also a fundamental failing of government. Like, you have to trust people with money. If my house gets destroyed in a storm, yeah, my my family needs somewhere to live. So I'm going to spend those resources making sure that my, my my home is restored and if i do make a bad choice that's that's a bad choice that me and my family have to live with but but the government shouldn't be worried about like the, the fraud the fraud is, is that our insurance companies are robbing us blind and not doing what's right now we are working you know all over the state for ida and um all the impacted areas you know, we saw so many people that had policies that covered wind, but not water. Right. Um, that covered, you know, like, I mean, like, they've carved out every way in which to take advantage of citizens in this state, and our insurance commissioner allows that. Yeah. That'll be on the ballot in 2023. Everybody will be on the ballot in 2023 in this state, and we need to we need to bring, bring it to bear, the failings, right? Like, and pick different people, because it's not okay that the, the only fraud that I see is that we have insurance companies that are taking advantage of people. We have. Um, and they're leaving the state. Yeah, no. Hey, I was I was impacted. I, we lost our. We had to go find new um, home homeowners insurance. Our our company was one of the insurance insurance companies that folded, and in, in the middle of hurricane season, I was yeah. like, Whoa, we got yeah. we got to take care of this. But but it but it's scary, right? And so when we talk about these things, we have to get back to a PPP, you know, experience for. You know, like for everyone, right? Like we got to like basically like when there's storms, like they happen at the end of the month when people get paid, they have to spend their money on hotels, gas and food, and then they have to come back and all their bills are still due. All You know, all the repairs and things that they have to wait months and months and months for anybody to find an answer, write a check, get a check mm-hmm. in hand. Um, and so they're still, they're living in substandard housing and trying to figure it out. And, you know, and after Ida, it was, it was stark, the the difference in how people responded to the storm. People just, they put tents on their property. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they just said, we can't do this anymore the way that it's been done. And, and more importantly, can't afford to do, right. to do it that way anymore. Right. And so, um, you know, and FEMA purposefully doesn't actually bring their troops down for about two weeks because they know this, the people that are impacted need the hotel rooms. Mm-hmm. But, I said, but what does that have to do with... Like, okay, well, they make some decisions and move some money so that people can be whole. And I think that, you know, again, we've demonstrated through PPP is a perfect example, Um, even through the child tax credit. Like, why why are we afraid to give people money? But we can give business whatever it wants. We can give individuals that, you know, that are considered, you know, entrepreneurs. We can do all, you know, like we can do what we want for business, but we just won't apply the same lens to people because we can't be trusted. We are, right. you know, all these narratives that aren't even true, right? right. And and we've also, so many people have bought into those narratives. And so for me, it's like, no, I pay taxes yeah. and I'm not afraid to. I, I don't have any problem with paying taxes and, I don't either. and, and, pay, and paying my fair share. I, I have no problem because what I understand is, is that that whatever 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 is needed for my community I want my community to have it. sure and that again because you know because of me that you know there is you right like they're like that we're all connected and so I think that this idea that we're not going to ever you know raise any taxes at the local state or federal level because that's the you know like that's that's the thing that's destroying our com- country yeah. is ridiculous like the thing that's destroying our country is greed yes um, and 
Yeah, greed at, at the top of the list and racism, <laughs> but but certainly greed, uh, greed. And Capitalism. Yeah, which isn't absolutely. going anywhere. It's not. I have spent way more of your time than I intended <laughs> to. Let me ask one other question, and I'm gonna get you out of here. Uh, gun violence prevention. Mm-hmm. You, Power Coalition is deeply, heavily involved in gun violence prevention. Uh, you're running headlong into a buzzsaw because people love their guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not even a racial issue. Black folk love their guns as much yeah. as white folk do. I can't tell you how many people show up here on Sunday morning with guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're, they're coming to worship, right. but they have their guns right. with them. Some of them have the decency to leave them in the car. Right. But trust me, they've got their guns. We, we are a nation that yeah. loves guns yep what what do you see going on uh uh going forward that might be helpful to deal with the proliferation of gun violence that's taking place within our communities in our state well you know there's so many layers right like i think that you know sure you you know you can have a gun do you need an ak-47 though yeah you know like do you need to be able to get off 200 rounds and and kill god knows how many people before anybody can do anything about it like i you know like so it's like yeah you you can have your pistol but i don't you know but i think that there is a whole group of 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 guns that shouldn't be out in you know like in community and and out in our it like like it's normal like it, it's not normal you're not in iraq you're not we're not in war like what do you need you know like what do we need that for it's that's one piece i think the other thing is um you know you know the part about this that is racial is is that regardless of you know of income when you're black and you have a gun you, you get criminalized. You're perceived as a yeah, threat. Yes. Exactly. Or you can be killed, right? Like we saw, you know, I mean, he literally had a gun in his glove compartment and the police shot him and his daughter was right behind him in the seat. And I, and I, and I, uh, God, please forgive me because I've forgotten his name, um, or not forgotten it, but it's just not coming to me at the moment. But for, yeah, Philando Castile. Um, and, you, and you mean to tell me that like and he had a permit for his gun mm-hmm. and so you can't so we, we everybody can love their guns but only if I have the same experience and I have the same rights as anybody else and so you know at the end of the day how ridiculous is it that everybody says they love their guns but then they don't but I can't have one they can go in the park with an AK-47 on their back and that's perfectly fine a black man does it and you know and the police are called and the police respond mm-hmm. and so why, why are we having two different experiences so that that's that's one you know that's one reality right the other piece is, is that like nobody questions like how so many guns end up in black communities that you know like so we don't own gun manufacturing yeah no companies. exactly yeah. exactly and so by the way we don't own poppy fields either <laughs> exactly <laughs> just, just making the point yeah exactly <laughs> and so you know the idea that you know like that we don't question that also is absurd to me like mm-hmm. that there isn't a you know like there isn't this um, it's like the bricks that were dropped off during the, you know, the summer, you know, what I call the, you know, summer freedom summer, where black folks and and and, and allies all said we need something different in this country. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, like yeah, like there's some convenient truths about why gu- there's so many guns in our community, and I think that there's also the reality that when you have deep poverty and you have young people that didn't think they were gonna live past 19, 20, 21, 
Um, that is a bad combination, right? Um, it, when you have um, folks that live their lives in survival mode, like fight or flight every single day, um, you know, I think that all of that contributes to the gun violence problem in our community. And I think that we have to think about all of the, the real answers, jobs. It's, you know, access to, to real opportunity mm -hmm. to make, you know, to, to make money and, and be able to take care of their families. Quality housing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, like, again, I feel like it's just a never-ending cycle of poverty and criminalization, and, and it destroys the, the bedrock of black families, um, destroys the bedrock of, of any poor family. But sure. it is certainly the experience, um, you know, of poor black families. And I just feel like, um, you know, we've got work to do. I think there's an opportunity for, you know, to, for us to use our resources, to use our churches, to... Um, to use our teachers and our coaches that are front, you know, frontline leaders, looking at and working with our young people, um, you know, diffusing and, and giving, you know, folks skill. You know, Gino McLaughlin just joined our team and he was just talking about the power of yoga and that like, you know, kids aren't no kids are taught like how to how to how to breathe, how to ha have a toolbox of solutions. Right. Like the, the, the only answer can't just be fighting. The only answer can't be. Um, you know, getting a gun, like, but that there are other ways that we can take care of ourselves so that we're not in those spaces and that we learn that there are many responses to many things and that gun violence, I don't ever see where it comes up as one of the, one of the solutions. But again, certainly people have to protect themselves, but mm -hmm. I do, um, you know, but I do think that there's just a lot of senseless gun violence in our community. And I've been very proud. We've been working with the city. We've had over a hundred people canvassing every day of summer since June 1st um, and we, it's made a difference right mm -hmm. like the numbers you know like during the summer the numbers always go up and, and that's statewide I mean that's kind of, that's across the country it's not even just Louisiana but across the country and this you know and one of the things that the canvas did was ask people what they needed um, connected them to resources whether that be organizations or other supports and you know and the numbers were down mm -hmm. and and I think that like not that 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 was the only thing but I think it was an important factor in if you ask people what they need and you give and you give them access to some solutions mm -hmm. that gun violence can be that's a beginning yeah and I, and I think that there's so much other work that we have to do um, but I think it starts with you have to care about North Baton Rouge you have to care about the part of our community that is majority black that folks want to you know like want literally want to secede from so right. I mean we've got South Baton Rouge trying to secede from North Baton Rouge right. and it's okay but when when North Baton Rouge tried to do that with the airport and the assets in North Baton Rouge it was shut down and so you know now we're in an endless court battle with St. George and it's so unfortunate because I actually live in the part of the city that would be St. George and I'm mm -hmm. moving I can't mm -hmm. I can't <laughs> I can't I always tell folks I said y'all if people don't understand government and how it works you you actually have to know how to move money you actually have to know how to put systems in place. And, and then for all the folks that say they don't want to pay taxes and they don't want their taxes to go up, a new government in a, in a new city, you're going to have taxes because you don't have garbage. You don't have, you know, you don't have your own maintenance. You don't have, you don't have anything. You don't have law enforcement. Right. You don't have any. You don't, definitely you don't, don't have, have city hall. Yeah, you don't have city hall. You don't have law enforcement. You don't have emergency services. Yeah, you don't have anything. You don't have sewage and water. Exactly. The list can go on. <laughs> right. The list does go have. on. And yes. so, so how are you going to do that with no money? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, like the asset, and then too, and the, all of the assets that they want also can opt to be a part of the, the city they're already a part of. And right. so I was like, why would we want to be a broken city instead of being a city with a couple of problems that can be fixed? And so, um, you know, and so, yeah, so, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, it's, you know, certainly never lost on me the, the multitude of of work that has to be done by all of us. But I do ask folks, you know, we've got a couple of things. You know, we've got elections coming up in the fall. We've got a U.S. Congressional Senate seat. We have a, a good bit. All of our House congressional seats are, are also on the ballot. We also then have judicial races here in Baton Rouge, New Orleans. Uh, Shreveport has municipal races in addition to those things. We've got a, congr a constitutional amendment, uh, yes on seven, that would, you know, that uh, deals with the slavery clause. We've got, you know, the you know, the language is imperfect, but we have to start, like I tell folks, you know, it has been the way of this work from my own experience, right, much less historically, that I got to open a window and then I can go open the door for everybody. If, some, if, if somebody, if we get create some kind of opening, then we can, you know, we can create an opportunity for everybody else. And sure. so, um, so I ask folks to vote. I think that one of the things that we've been asking folks to do is that for all of the folks that are running for Congressional Senate, I, there's, there are a couple of yes or no questions that folks need to ask. Are you going to codify the John Lewis voting rights legislation into law? Will you vote? To, to, to put it into law, yes or no? You know, <laughs> like, like it's fundamental. Like, why are we having these conversations? Because the John Lewis voting rights legislation would absolutely solve every single problem. That, well, not every single, would solve a lot of problems around the inequity and the lack of fairness that, have, that has put us in a situation where our votes feel like they don't matter. And so I think that, you know, again, but if we're not asking questions, if we just allow, like we allowed the Congressman Shreveport just to go, go back, he was unchallenged. Why do we we have unchallenged races. Yes. You know, I, you know, again, like I, there are a whole bunch of people I don't want in no, no continuity of leadership. <laughs> I was like, we need to reelect a whole bunch of folks. Um, and you know, and the ways in which some of these folks have truly hurt Louisiana and our community is insane. I mean, our whole congressional delegation voted against the infrastructure bill yes. and, you know, and I always tease Garrett Graves put money in for hurricane relief and he still voted against it, but he basically was like, well, but there'll be enough votes for, for me to, to, to get it. And then they are all sitting at a table to up the, the the bounty and it's like no how does that work and and at a time when we're the second poorest state in the country quickly making our way to beating Mississippi in the race to the bottom and you know but we don't need infrastructure dollars that's insane I mean I can barely drive through New Orleans without feeling like my axle is gonna break <laughs> I moment. live there. I know what a <laughs> pothole looks like. Right. Yes. So, you know, and so I just ask folks, you got to vote. you got to participate. We've got to fight for the leadership that we want. Um, you know, 2023 is going to be a critical fight. And it is our goal to make sure that, you know, the full, that they feel the full 42% of, you know, black and other voters of color in this state. Um, we know they undercounted, so it's probably more like 50, 45, but, you know, whatever. Sure. <laughs> Sure. So um, that but and if that happens, that we can change our state, we can choose the governor. So, you know, again, like they gerrymandered my way. They may have gerrymandered me out of picking my state right. senator or, or, or house rep, but they cannot gerrymander my voice no, out, they of, can't. out of any statewide office. And no, we can't. are still waiting to have our first black elected statewide officer. And so there's there's work to be done. And so we can't give up. 
the point is to exhaust us. The point is for it to be hard or for, to make us feel like nothing we do will matter. But everything we do matters. Your, your, your existence is political. You have agency as a voter to fight and change things in your communities. It's rough out there right now. But again, I think that there's, you know, ours have been opened after COVID about how powerful government can be in solving problems. And we need to demand that every day, not just in the face of a pandemic. <sighs> Last question, very last question. You're in addition to Power Coalition, you're a wife, you're a mother of three. Uh, your oldest, I believe, is in college now. Mm -hmm. I always ask people who are first time guests on the podcast, do you want your children? I know, I know it's their choice. Do you want your children to grow up in Baton Rouge to, to make their stake their claim in Baton Rouge? You know, um, I, I talk about this all the time because, it, it, you know, when you when you decide to have kids, you take you know like you think of everything, right? Like I I thought about the, all the worst case scenarios of what I was bringing a child into, what world were was I bringing them into, and I think I couldn't even have imagined this scenario. Like I think I, I mean I imagined some bad things, but like th like. Our democracy is holding on by a thread. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, you know, I don't know what they're going to inherit fr from the world, much less in our own community. And I think that, you know, one of the most powerful pieces of testimony during redistricting was a, a young woman from Dillard, um, a Dillard student who said she has no hope for this state, that she's going to get her education and she's going to leave just like all of the other people, all of her, all of her other friends and family in Louisiana, because they will not do the right thing. They will not be fair. They will not be equitable. They will not address systemic racism. I mean, you know, <laughs> I literally spent, have, you know, most of the last week fighting to make sure that Bessie didn't take out the social emotional development and learning of children because they, the, the superintendent said it was a Trojan horse for critical race theory. Mm -hmm. um, First of all, no. What it is is that you need to teach children how to be kind, how to talk to each other, how to not make a, job, a teacher's job harder um, because this kid can just walk around and think they can do whatever they want to do. Like, no, there are rules. And, and we enforce these rules for all the other things that we want, right, mm -hmm. around discipline and uniforms and all this other crap. But, like, but they don't have to have manners. They don't have to be decent human beings. They don't have to have integrity and character. It's absurd. It's absurd, and and then I, and then too, if you think about early childcare, there you know there are a lot of folks in this in early childcare that aren't even making a living wage, yes. and so then you want me to deal with a kid that has no <laughs> that we're not actually doing the work of developing socially and emotionally, insane, and so I say that to say that I don't think my kids can stay. I, I, I want to. That's why. Look, why? I, let, let me tell you something. I tell this to everybody, you know, because folks are like, why do you continue to do this? Why are you working so hard? Like, it's impacting your health. It's all these things. And, I, and, and it is true. But I was like, because I do want there to be a chance that they could continue to live in our community. And I'm fighting for it every single day. And not just for them, but for all the, all the babies. I, um, and I've shared this story with you. Um, one of the donors that, you know, I, 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 that I've known in Baton Rouge for a very long time, good friend. You know, when we talk about violence and, you know, or police brutality or any of these things, they were like, well, Ashley, not your son. 
I was like, does he have a sign? <laughs> does he have a sign on his back that says, yeah. we like his mom. Don't don't shoot him. Don't brutalize him. Or I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I got to fight for all the little black boys the same. And I was like, and my son is no safer than any other little black boy in this community. And, you know, and he's not so little anymore. He's, he's a sophomore at LSU now. And he is 6'3 and 200 pounds. And, you know, the, the kid that I love and is silly and, you know, and, and brilliant is a threat to so many other folks and in particular folks with guns mm-hmm. that 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 actually are supposed to serve and protect but that I, I literally plead the blood of Jesus Jesus over him every single day because I am not promised that he's gonna come back to me every single day and so I'm fighting for the Baton Rouge that I want I'm fighting for the Louisiana that I want to live in I tell people too everything I love is in this place that's why I stay everything I love now all the stuff around me <laughs> in the place mm-hmm. that I love is messed up right and we're just trying to fix it and move the needle on all the systems that have to be changed in order for our young people to decide that maybe just maybe they could build a life here but as it currently stands no and in fact you know as we watch the federal you know the supreme court kind of move towards the state's rights peace and giving states more rights. Yes. I don't know if it's a place that I'll be living in for forever. And and I never thought I would ever say that I mm-hmm. wouldn't be living here, but me and my parent me and my parents we're leaving. <laughs> taking taking the things that I love and we're we're getting out of here. And it's unfortunate because I'm one of five kids. We all live here except for my my baby brother who's in Atlanta. And we all live within 15 minutes of each other. You know, my dad and my, I live seven minutes from my parents. And I just think, you know, like, and that's beautiful. Like, it's beautiful for our family. It's beautiful for my kids. And, you know, and to just think that, like, we may be in a moment in the next 10 years where I have to make a decision. You know, like, my, my dad's uh, family's from the Virgin Islands. I was like, Daddy, we might have to get dual citizenship. <laughs> so we, have, we might have to keep our options open because I, I, won't, I won't allow my kids to live in a, in a place where they don't have rights and they're forced to live as second-class citizens. Um, you know, and like I said, and just walk around and walk with that fear. And I don't think people understand how powerful... Um, that that is trauma, right? Like when you walk around all every day Absolutely. hoping that your son comes home to you, that's trauma, Absolutely. right? You know the the you, you know the you know my grandmother when the news would come on, you know Crime Stoppers would be like, we're looking for a black man, you know six foot, you know six foot two, two hundred pounds, and you know she would literally call my uncles and say, you know you need make sure you're at home because mm-hmm. they're just looking for anybody that fits this description, mm-hmm. and. You know, like that's insane. That's insane, and that's been that's been thirty years ago, and it's still the same today. Yeah, it's It's our reality. reality. And I and so I do. um, Like I said, I'm fighting like hell, and and nobody's gonna you know take me from what I feel like God has put in my heart to do, which is to know that that you know they're always you know miracles happen. Our you know the first shall be you know the 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 first shall be last and the last shall be first, and um, and. You know, I'm fighting to make it happen. And so I believe in it, like I said, and it isn't that I believe in, you know, the the leadership of the state <laughs> or like I, I'm not I'm not waiting on anybody to free me or to give me my rights. I'm fighting for my own rights. Right. You know, I was like, the, you know, again, every right I had, I had to get from the federal courts. I understand. Yeah. And so the lower courts at least feel like there's some there's some opportunity but you know the supreme court is very problematic but you know hopefully our new justice that was just installed uh they said she's a consensus builder so hopefully she can build some consensus and 
bring us back to something that resembles sanity. <laughs> it has been long overdue having you here. I yes. am so grateful that you chose to come and share, and I hope that you come back because there are about five or six other questions that I would Absolutely. love to talk about. And we got to unpack some of these about. constitutional amendments. And yes. so we want to make sure that we, you know, that um, as we keep changing our constitution on a regular basis, that um, we're not letting folks, letting things slide through, like debasing the 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 tax base of New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Shreveport that just so happened to be the majority of black cities and had black leadership, yes. <laughs> yes. So, which was on the ballot last time. And so we have to talk about what all those things mean and, and, and understand what we're voting for. Um, and we got to get down the ballot. You can't skip, you can't skip the, but you know, you can't skip the stuff you don't want to know about. Like it's all important. Ashley Kennedy Shelton, thank you so much for coming by and sharing with us. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.